welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman podcast series. Our guest today is Jennifer Setmar. She is an expert in market access and currently works at Skysys, a member of Fishhawk Health. Jennifer works with clients to create transformative solutions to complex marketing and access challenges, excelling at identifying disruptive strategy. Jennifer has also led her independent consulting business, supporting small to large size healthcare and pharmaceutical organizations prior to her career at Skysys. She began her pharmaceutical career at Merck and has had leadership positions at companies including Braco Diagnostics and Novo Nordisk. Jennifer holds an MBA in Marketing and Management from Kabeli School of Business at Fordham University and a Bachelor's from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi Jennifer, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited to have you with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, it's great to be here. So let's start from your childhood. Where did you grow up and how was your childhood? My childhood from elementary school, I was in a little town in Connecticut called Ridgefield. A really great experience. Very uh, small town. I spent a lot of time outside. I was always exploring the woods and running around and picking berries and all that stuff. It was a, it was a really great childhood. Then I spent um, my middle school and high school years in the Philadelphia suburbs. And it was also a little bit of the same as well. I also spent a lot of time outside. Of course, when I got older in high school, I was, I got really into baseball and sports and drama and all of that stuff. Great childhood, great experience growing up. So once you got to high school level, were there certain career options you were looking into? Did you aspire to be a certain professional? Growing up as a kid, I, again, starting in, in Connecticut, I was being outside. I was always fascinated by rocks and minerals of all things. And I had an extensive rock collection and I, I knew a lot about them. And it was just, and I loved being outside. And so for a while, I wanted to be a geologist of all things, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, I think once I started learning more about what being a geologist entailed, <laughs> I realized that it wasn't something I was interested in doing. And then I had, my father has a had a mortgage banking business. And when I, in summer times, I would go and help out in the business. And it was a really great experience. And I knew... Uh, at that point, I, I wanted to go into business. And so when I went off to college, it was, I knew pretty well that I was going to take up that business route. So you went to Vanderbilt. Once you yeah. got to college, were there other, um, you know, areas of interest for you? Yes, actually. Um, that's interesting because my sophomore year, I took art history and I'd always been interested in art. My family, my parents had always exposed me to a lot of art and I was always interested in it. And I finally took art history my sophomore year of college, um, which coincidentally was the term that I had mono. And I was so sick. Um, and so it was very difficult to sit in a dark room and study art history um, and be tired all the time. <laughs> but um, I got through it. But I was at the time, I didn't choose it as my, as my major because I was sick and I was trying to get through things. In retrospect, I do kind of wonder if I had taken that path because I really enjoyed the course. And even after that, I took more electives in art history and I studied in France where I was constantly going to museums. Yeah, so I do always wonder kind of if I had taken that path, what would have happened? <laughs> so you speak a lot of languages and I've seen it firsthand. If you learned something like 10 years ago, it just comes back when it's needed, which is amazing. So when, when did this love for languages start and love for travel? 
Well, it's funny because growing up, I actually had a lot of trouble learning how to read and um, um, to a point where, you know, it was it was a challenge for me up until probably even high school. And so it was very bizarre that I started taking Latin and French in like fifth or sixth grade. And right away, they came very easily to me. And that was it was kind of ironic um, because, you know, here I was having enough trouble learning English or you know reading English, but I was able to pick up other languages. Um, and so I, I, I took and I continued with the French and the, and the Latin all the way through high school. You know, I didn't quit. It was, and it was a great foundation. The French I have always enjoyed because you can, you know, speak with other people and practice and the culture is just amazing. And then the Latin, I think, has also been really helpful with other languages because the root of the words uh, for Spanish and Italian, it makes it a lot easier for me to kind of start picking things up. And so I've just always had an ear for languages and always enjoyed it. So yeah, and I continue to keep, um, you know, having that interest and, and it's always really handy with travel. So how did you end up in pharmaceutical market access space? <laughs> That's a really interesting, um, I had a really interesting journey because um, coming out of college, um, I had that, you know, interest in art, but I also love business. And so I actually started out in advertising because I felt like advertising is a way to bring art and business together. And so I spent the first part of my, you know, 20s uh, working in New York City and different ad agencies, doing TV commercials, working with all these clients. It was a really um, great, exciting time. But I started feeling like, um, you know, I wanted to expand my horizons. And so I started my, getting my MBA at night and I very quickly saw that the MBA at night was going to take a while and that there was so much more going on. And so um, Merck had come forward to um, my business school and said that they were looking for someone to uh, do like a six month co-op. And I said, what a great opportunity to make money and pay for my MBA and, and learn something new. And so I went to Merck and I, I worked at Merck for almost a year. I, it was fantastic. I was able to take a few classes and, and work on my MBA, um, but I had this just fantastic experience working at Merck. And what I really loved about pharma was that I was doing something that was helping others. When I was in the ad business, I was helping other people, but I wasn't part of the company. I was that agent. And I really wanted to be part of something. Business was, you know, part of what I was doing. And I was, and I had that company, company angle. So, um, and I also, at the time, my father had um, died from cancer and I started, you know, researching oncology companies and I just started feeling like, wow, I'm really part of something that, that, you know, has a personal impact. And so, so I, I went to Merck, I was at Merck for almost a year. And then after I finished, I went back and finished my MBA and then I got recruited by Novo Nordisk and um, did, was there for 10 years. And that's really how I got into uh, pharma for real, you know, as a real full-time, you know, permanent thing. And um, I started out in marketing and I really, I enjoyed that. Um, that's what my MBA, I was studying marketing, but then um, I did, went into a rotation in market access right away. I had, first of all, it was an amazing team. Uh, but secondly, market access for me was such a great fit because I tend to be the type of person that likes change. It was great for when I was in the ad business because clients and stuff were constantly changing. And for market access, everything is always changing. I loved that it was, I was able to have a role that had a little bit of marketing, but it was also strategy, a lot of variety. 
And so that's how I, how I fell into market access. I went in for a rotation and ended up staying for over 10 years. So somebody who's very interested in market access today, you know, as a career option, what would you advise them? You know, there's a lot of different areas of market access. And so, you know, I would definitely think about which, which area of market access would be of interest to you. And it really, a lot of it depends on your skill set. It's nice because like, depending on your skill set, there always is a place for you in market access. It has the reputation, I guess, of being known as the, you know, the deal making and the, um, you know, the working with the payers side, but then there's also a, a softer side. There's the working with um, payers and looking at payer partnerships and um, programs. That's more of the softer side. There's also the side that's the hardcore analytical side where you're looking at the contracts, trying to figure out how to make the most profitable deal. There's the economic and medical side of, of market access where you're looking at health outcomes and you're syncing it up with the data and, and putting forward a case for why a farm, why an insurer should pay for your drug. So depending on your, your skills and expertise, there's a lot of different areas. And so I'd say to anyone who's interested in market access, you know, think about what you enjoy doing. And from there, you can, you know, identify that area where you would probably have the best fit. Um, but I definitely would say market access is not a place for someone who wants to repeatedly do the same thing over and over again. Some people love predictability. <laughs> Um, I feel like in market access, it's not that way. I think you also have to be someone who enjoys working with people. There's so much collaboration involved in market access. You're constantly working with others. So in terms of skill sets, you mentioned, you know, you need to have different kinds of skill sets and no matter what skill sets you bring to the table, there's an area that actually might work for you or you might be more impactful. Are there certain skills that you recommend people just coming out of school or coming out of colleges to start working on because they're just so useful across no matter where you are in your career. A skill set that across the board you you need to have with market access, the ability to think big and think about the business. And this the good news is that this is something that you can do straight out of school. So I would say if um, you are interested in getting into market access and um, you want to start building a skill set for market access. I think there's probably two big things you need to be able to do. The first is that you need to think about, you need to be able to understand corporate strategy, really understand, be comfortable looking at annual reports, following businesses, understanding how businesses work, you know, what type of choices they make and why, what motivates um, organizations, what motivates the people within organizations how companies make money, those types of things. Because I do feel like from a market access perspective, you know, you have to understand really where your customers are going and what motivates them. The other thing that you can study up on is health policy. Um, health policy is a big component of market access because we're constantly trying to think about what could happen in our market and what type of um, trends are, are happening within the market. So understanding how our U.S. government works, how all the um, issues around drug pricing, reimbursement, huge thing to study up on and understand. I think I'd say those are the, probably the two, two areas to really study up on if you're looking to understand kind of 
how market access is working. And there's a lot of great resources as well. You know, I, I find it really helpful to follow podcasts that talk about pharmaceuticals, to read news clippings about different uh, deals, uh, different technologies. I mean, they even create podcasts and, and, and news clipping services just for payers, you know, reading the same journals that not only market access people read, but that our customers read, um, always really helpful. So you can understand the lingo and understand the business. So if you had to divide your career in three parts, right, what would they be and how do you think they were all connected and how did one chapter help the second one along? So I feel like the first part of my career was probably when I was in my 20s and I was working in advertising and I had unlimited boundless energy. I was very enthusiastic. I was very eager. I was constantly learning. I could, you know, work all night long and then show up for work the next day. It was just boundless energy. And I didn't have any sort of, um, you know, at home responsibilities. So I had the time to really devote to my career. And so I really, I really went all in when I was in my twenties. And so I feel like that was sort of my growth period. And of course, you know, I, I had a lot of amazing things happen. I also made plenty of mistakes, <laughs> Um, and learn from them. I feel like the middle part of my career was when I ended up coming out into New Jersey and having kids and I was still working full speed ahead, but I was also having children and, um, you know, expanding my responsibilities and growing as a person. Um, but it was a different world because I was constantly balancing children and family and house and work. At the same time, it was sort of like, um, you know, my children were in daycare, which was a blessing. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to be as successful as I've become if it weren't for daycare. I don't know if I could have balanced the two or <laughs> anything. So that was really helpful. It kind of allowed me to have the headspace when I was at work to really focus on work. And then when I was at home, to think about home. Um, and then I feel like right now I'm kind of in the third place in my career where I, um, you know, I, I grew so much working within pharma com companies and um, I ended up starting out my own consulting business, which was just fantastic. I really wanted to have the continued variety, sort of like what I have in market access, a variety of work and variety of projects. But I wanted to have a little bit more control over my own schedule, um, my own decisions around what I was going to be working on. And I've also always kind of wanted to start my own business anyway, just having that, being able to say I built something. After a while of doing my own consulting business, one of my clients actually ended up hiring me in. <laughs> Although I'm still a consultant now, I work with a number of um, pharma companies, large and small. It's been fantastic because I really learned so much over these years. And now I'm able to really share that learning and experience with my clients and help them. I love solving problems. And I feel like it's just so great to be able to come in from the outside, bring a fresh perspective to companies because, you know, I know what it's like when you're inside and you're busy doing a million different things. It's nice to be able to have that ability to come in and really bring something different um, to an organization and, you know, really make sense of all the chaos. That's sort of something I've always I think of it as a theme, actually, if we could really think about where I've been, it's always been a bit chaotic life, but I feel like I've always been very good at making sense of chaos. When I was in my twenties, I was always sort of the organizer. 
when I was, you know, having kids in that middle part, I was always kind of trying to, you know, build out working mom communities and, you know, sharing ideas with other people and, and making sense of all of this crazy, you know, uh, work-life balance. And then now as a consultant, I'm kind of making sense of chaos when I work with clients who are trying to wrap their head around a problem. I come in and I sort of help them come up with a framework to help them make decisions or, you know, even just make recommendations. I'd say that's that's sort of the three phases of my career. I feel like though there's going to be a fourth one, which I'm pretty sure will happen when my kids go off to high school and college. And I think it's going to be interesting because I'll have the choice of either doing more service because one of the reasons I had started my own consulting business was I wanted to have more time to volunteer. So I might go into a place where I'm doing more service because I do enjoy one of my favorite things about work is actually that I'm, I'm helping others and I'm serving other people, colleagues, clients, that type of thing. I might go back inside to a pharma business and, or go, or start to join a startup or something. I do feel like I'm going to have a fourth act of my career. Talking of children, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of women are in the same boat where you're trying to start up your career, make something out of it. And then you have young kids at home. How did you balance that work-life balance and what worked for you in terms of managing the family and the work expectations? The first thing that really helped me immensely when my kids were really little was I invested in a housekeeper. Uh, what I did was I didn't, I know a lot of folks do nannies. They'll have a nanny come and, you know, um, be there to watch the kids after school or um, babysit them while you're working late. Well, I wanted to do it a little differently. I wanted to be the one to do the child rearing, but I found that I was so busy with dishes and laundry and cooking that I wasn't able to spend time with the kids. So I found someone and it was very hard to find a housekeeper because not a lot of people have an Alice anymore. <laughs> so I, it took some work, but I found someone who came every day for four hours from four to eight and she would come, she would do the dishes and the laundry and the cooking. And, and that was it. She very rarely took care of the kids only if I was in a major jam. And it was a godsend because I would be able to come home from work and, and spend, be present for the kids and focus on the kids. And I didn't have to stress out about what's for dinner or, you know, what are they wearing or anything like that. So that was, it was an investment, but it was so worth it. It, I would have not been able to do what I did professionally if it weren't for, for the housekeeper in the beginning. The second thing that I did when my kids got a little older was I started really reaching out beyond just my work networks and um, I started getting involved and in school and meeting a lot of my neighbors and people in my community. And I befriended a lot of stay-at-home moms who are, you know, parents of other children in my classes. And those relationships were so amazing, not only because they're wonderful people, but also stay-at-home moms can help with carpooling. Stay-at-home moms are available if you get in a jam or if you have something happen at the house for the day. And then you have stuff to bring to stay-at-home moms because most stay-at-home moms are, you know, thinking in the back of their heads, like, should I go back to work? Or, you know, how is my resume? Or how do I do that? Um, and so, you know, befriending a lot of stay-at-home moms has been an amazing experience for me. 
I, some of my best friends are the stay-at-home moms uh, in my community. And it helped me. It helped me balance work as well. So it's sort of a win-win. And I know you're very involved with your community. Also, you are a big social media person, <laughs> at, least, at least for your community <laughs> events. So how is your relationship with social media? So um, I would say I really, I really appreciate social media. I, I, I really, I'm not one of those people that is against Facebook. I have to say, I really enjoy uh, the efficiencies that come out of social media. I enjoy going on and seeing what other people are up to. It makes me really happy uh, because for most part, people post happy updates. I feel like it's, again, it's, it's an efficient way of finding out what's going on. Instead of having to call everybody and ask everybody what's going on, you get to see and hearing updates from other people that I know and love. And then sometimes there's sad things that happen and I, I feel sad for people. And I appreciate knowing though, through that, because, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have found out, or I would have heard from someone else not like long after. And so it gives you a chance to say, Hey, I didn't know that it happened to you. I'm really sorry that that happened. That's awful. I, I appreciate that. And I love um, LinkedIn and, and I would encourage anyone who's starting out to get on LinkedIn ASAP. That is the most amazing tool and I think about what I had when I was first starting out and getting my first job, there was no LinkedIn. LinkedIn is just such a powerful tool. Over the years, I just always add people that I've worked with. I don't do a lot of cocktail parties. I just periodically go in and, and add people. People end up changing positions and then all of a sudden you have a network that's grown and it expands. And it is fascinating to see how many people over the years you end up working with. And those are the types of connections that you, you have, and they're stronger than if you were to just meet someone randomly. You have opportunities to you know, ask for introductions to people you, don't, you haven't worked with and second and third connections. Um, so it's just oh, it's such a powerful tool, not only for personal development, but for professional development, for business development. Um, it's a great tool. And so I would say to anyone, start getting on there. Connect with anyone that you you know well. If you do enough engagement on LinkedIn, um, you can have a, a very strong network. So talking of network, what does networking mean for you? I think I mentioned that I'm not really a big cocktail party type of person. I haven't had time to do that kind of stuff. Um, I occasionally go to um, you know women in business meetings, but... I just don't have time. It's hard when you have kids to go to these things. What I do instead is I, I kind of see it as more behind the scenes networking where I will um, you know, add people that I know. I look at the feeds of you know, updates of people that I know. I definitely use the connections and whenever I'm working with someone and, and you know, it's, it's someone you work with, if it's someone who sells something to you, if it's a vendor. And then I always, I do always accept any request from anyone who's a recruiter. It's sort of a, a rule of thumb. I, most people I know are the same way. If it's a recruiter that wants to connect with you, usually just accept them, even if you don't know them. Um, but if it's not a recruiter, I don't accept invitations from people that I don't know. That's really, that's really how I do it. I also have a, a, a short list of people who I regularly connect with, like once a month, once every couple months. Um, so of course you, I just had lunch with a couple of other people who I see every once in a while, we text each other. I have one connection and, you know, it's it's funny because you start working with people and then they become friends. Um, so 
I have one connection where I always remember that it's time to reach out and see her when my son goes through a bunch of clothes and I have a bag of clothes <laughs> to give to her for her son. That's when I always know it's time to give her a call and see what's up and get together for lunch. So I do try to do that periodically. I feel like it would be great to do more of it. And I know some other people who are really good at it, who are constantly, constantly reaching out. I don't have as much time to do all of that because I do so much stuff in my community, but you know, it's, it's something that I think, you know, in different seasons, I might, you know, do more of that. So are there certain values that you really hold close? Accountability for me has always been a big value. I've always just sort of naturally had, I think it's, I think it began because my father was with the same company for like 20 or 30 years. He was a company man. And um, when you're with a company for a very long period of time, you feel accountable to that company. Uh, you feel like, um, you know, what you do as a role and, and has an impact on that company. And he sort of ingrained a lot of that in me. So when I'm working, I always feel like it's important to take accountability for your actions, take accountability for your mistakes, accountability for your successes. And then if you're working with a group, you know, take accountability for that team. You know, sometimes it, it is, it's, it's hard sometimes to always take accountability, but I feel like it's good to, to take more accountability versus take less accountability in any situation. In terms of certain attributes that we women have, you know, whether it's personal or professional, what are some of the things you think hold us back and any experiences you had where you learned either firsthand or secondhand that mm -hmm. certain kind of, you know, qualities, if we develop, we get more at work. I think one of the biggest mistakes that women can make is that we're, we've been working so hard to bring ourselves to a place of equality in the workforce that sometimes we almost overdo it. And I feel like I make that mistake all the time. And it's very difficult. And I know there's a lot of dialogue around this, that we should never, you know, it's, what is it? The adage that, you know, a woman will go after a job and, and prove that she's earned the job. Whereas a man will go after a job and say that they deserve it because they have the potential to do the job. So it's a very, you know, that adage, I feel like we fall into that a lot. And I think that one challenge, one big pitfall is taking things and overcomplicating them. And I feel like that is something I, I have a Girl Scout leader and Boy Scout leader and like just noticing the difference between the two organizations. I feel like that when I worked with Boy Scouts before they became Scouts, it was just like they tended to take things and keep things much more simple, much more straightforward and to the point. Whereas when I'm working with Girl Scout stuff, it was always just much more complicated. Maybe it's our brains. As women, we are we're such smart and, and dynamic and, you know, big thinking creatures. It sometimes is our, to our own detriment, trying to simplify things. It's something that I personally always striving for. It's my, one of my mantras is like to, to simplify things, declutter, minimalize. That's something I'm just a big proponent of that I'm constantly personally always striving to do. Um, but I'm so not perfect at it. And it's still a work in progress because I do think that my, my brain is, is sort of programmed to move very quickly and, and capture so much that um, sometimes you just need to slow down and, and simplify. <laughs> Did you ever face any um, instances where you didn't get what you should have gotten because you were a woman 
And how did you deal with that situation? You know, I have to say, I'm not sure if I've ever really had that happen to me directly, where I felt like, um, like if you think about promotion, like I, I don't think I've ever been passed over for promotion because I was a woman versus a man or anything like that. I will say though that it's very difficult because you know, you want to be strong and bold and confident, you know, and, and I, and I think about how I've been coached over the years. I've been coached to be softer, be more friendlier and less direct and to the point, whereas it's weird. Cause I, I, I would imagine maybe my male colleagues are not, not coached that same way. So any closing comments for our listeners? I would just say that your audience is women who are looking to better themselves, to grow, to start their careers. Um, I would say go for what you want. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something because of X, Y, and Z. There's always a way. You just have to sometimes get creative. I mean, I think about my current situation. I was told that there's no way you could progress to a higher level in market access and not be full-time on all the time, always working. And I instead, I found a way to do it, uh, to continue to grow and evolve and, and gain more responsibilities and still have my Friday to do things with my children. So I think that you can, you can figure things out if you're creative. I build a network with the people that you know and love. Those are the strongest connections that you have. Work hard. Don't take yourself too seriously. If you make a mistake, own it and you know share your successes. Make sure that you acknowledge credit for work that you've done that's really great. And I think probably the most important of all things is choose work that you enjoy and that you're passionate about because you spend 30 of your life at the office working and how much of a bummer would that be if you didn't enjoy it and a third of your life doing something you don't like. Think about what type of work inspires you and make sure you're doing work that you enjoy. Great advice. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.